in this episode with Connor Johnston. I, I, uh, I, I've got OCD as well. When I was younger, I, I was, it was like a pretty big thing in my life. And um, I found like when I was playing basketball, that was the one time that it wouldn't, it wouldn't really take over my life or affect me in, in a negative way. It would just, it would just you know, go. And I think yeah. that's what I've been trying to do is get to this state with acting. And sometimes when you really are in that flow, like just like you said, then in that flow and that scene, that's really beautiful. And I think that's, that's probably a huge thing that people, you know, that you've discussed on the show and everything that are passionate about things that that's, they get into that state and, and that's when the magic happens, you know. Well, look, the thing that I was interested in was I loved the whole, like, you know, like showmanship and, right. and I love, you know, mum would take me to the theatre theater and, you know, we'd go and see shows and we went and seen um, the Aquinas College High School show and a guy that was in my rugby team played Peter Pan in it and he did an amazing job and I was like, I thought it was just the coolest thing ever and I always had this back and forth relationship where I would have loved to have done the drama and the acting but like, as I mentioned before about my schedule of the trainings, it just simply wasn't possible, you know, and even in the even in the drama school, like the period that that was in the day, it was at the same time as this thing at Tauranga Boys is called Titans, and there's basically like the best player from each sporting code in the school was in it, you know, and um and that was in the same period as drama, you know, and and I had to do being that representing basketball, of course, you know, and and um, it was only in the last year that I. They, they, they put me in there and I said to them, my English, because I loved English, and I love movies, I love TV shows, like my room was just covered in movie posters, you know, and I was obsessed, like, with, with you know, the idea of acting in movies and stuff, but I just had never had the space to be able to make that first step, you know, and um, it wasn't until I got in front of the camera, you know, when I was at uni and I met those fellas, you know, Dwight and Cody, and, and, um, and I was just like, wow, this is, um, this is different, this is cool and it just doesn't, you know, because I had a warped perception of how things were going to go because I was like, oh, great, I'm never going to have to get a day job again. I'll just be going from set to set for the rest of my life and I'll be in LA in six months, you know, <laughs> and um, and th and that's just how you learn as well because, you know, I was still, still only young and I'm still learning all these things myself. Mm. And this one was a boxer and um, and we had the, the Olympic, the women's Olympic um, boxing coach was our on-set advisor so like in pre-production, you know, for a couple of months, I was traveling up to Auckland each week and I was working with him, um, working with Cam <clears throat> on all the technical side of things, you know. And because when I was in my audition, you know, I told them about how great of a boxer I was, of course, you know. <laughs> and But that was more just a weekly fitness class where you're just skipping rope in a boxing ring or hitting a bag. It was very different.
Connor, thank you for taking time out to um, come and on our podcast and tell us about your life's work story. I appreciate that. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, my first question is about the title of our show, um, mm. Life's Work. Um, what would you describe as your life's work? <clears throat> you know, I, I knew that this question was coming and I'm trying to not get too wishy-washy with it. Um, I think that a huge thing for me um, personally, Steve, is when I when I think about my life's work, I don't think um, too specifically about acting or about uh, you know the other bits and pieces that I do for money, but I more think about the effect that I have on people's lives. And I think you know one of the most important things for me um, is to know that when people have an interaction with me in my life, that they leave with a smile on their face or a positive feeling. Like the opposite to when you say you you know you sort of left that interaction with a bit of a sour taste in your mouth. I like to think of it as the opposite to that, you know, more warm and and bubbly. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I'd, I'd say uh, in the last couple of years I've been also more more directed to and a bit more, um, a little bit more concise and stuff. And I think we can elaborate more as we talk about that. Um, but, you know, I guess coming into this, into this acting uh, side of things, I have had, you know, younger people and stuff come and, and talk to me and want to know, you know, um, you know how to get started and, and, and whatnot. And I guess, you know, so that's also been a, a thing that I've been doing is, you know, trying to help people take that next step in their careers as well rather than just being generally kind or whatever, you know. So I think there's a lot of ways that you can, um, you know, help people and show kindness and and that might be, you know, and yeah, we can show through in a lot of different ways. So I guess that's what my life's work is. And um, yeah, for me, that sort of started with doing work in the community. You know, I um, I've always had a I've always had a soft spot um, for the uh, disabled community. I've done a lot of work in the disabled community um, over the last few years, uh, like at the the RDA Tauranga and Taupo, the horse riding for disabled. And um, also just mentor mentorship programs that I've done and uh, and bits and bobs for um, people with mixed neurodiversities and physical abilities and um, was actually lucky uh, when I got the opportunity I got a I got a scholarship to go to Waikato Uni <clears throat> and when I was over there and this was a Sirman Hillary scholarship mm. so that's for sports academics and leadership so, uh, leadership slash community service you know so. We've, We'll touch on that later in terms of my sporting and things, but with the community stuff was really great, you know, because when I went there, I was able to to run a program uh, with my friend of mine, Mayoro, Mayoro Barton, and um, we were doing uh, getting uh, kids of mixed abilities physically active, you know, so two nights a week. Um, it was like after school hours, and it was at a, at our campus basketball gym, which was my local hangout. I didn't really leave there <laughs> very much when I was uh, when I was at, at uni. There's like a poster up on there of our team and everything, and um, yeah, every week we'd do something a bit different. You know, we'd do dancing, touch rugby, basketball. You know, and I, I think a lot of a lot of people, unfortunately, uh, in, in that situation, they they don't get the same uh, chances. Uh, that everyone that other people do and I think you know in terms of not starting off on a level playing field it can really lead into some negative cycles and that's just something that I've been aware of and I hate people feeling excluded from things and I, I really is that you know I'm quite sensitive and aware of that and uh, you know I think you know if it goes from you know say not being 
not being picked in a PE class for a school team or, or whatever it is, you know, and all of a sudden, if you're not feeling welcome, not only does that affect you mentally, but also you're not going to then be being physically active, you know, and then, you know, then you might not be getting as much vitamin D and you're not, you know, and then it can just lead to, you know, who not, you could be doing a lot more computer games, a lot more inside things or solo stuff and not, you know, having that same, um, some of those beautiful qualities that you do get when you have the chance to be physically active, especially in a team environment like we were touching on before we started recording today. Uh, you know, there's a lot of great attributes that you can that can help you in life when you when you have that ability or that privilege to be a part of something like yeah. a team or a group or, or whatever. And so that has been a, a huge thing for me. And when I was at Wakata Uni, I, I really enjoyed doing that work and I met a lot of cool people, um, you know. So um, yeah, that i got to say this. I didn't plan at all what I was going to say, but that's the first thing that comes to mind and I'm happy with that. That was a good answer. That was a good answer. Full answer. I liked it. It was good. So, I mean, essentially what you're saying is that no matter what you do, you want to be a positive influence. Exactly. You know, and and be a bit of a coach and mentor for for people. Yeah, absolutely. I think if, you know, there's been times in my life where I've felt excluded from things and I've felt like I didn't know what I should do and what the next step would be. And then after going through that and learning what the next step is, you know, for me in certain situations, I feel like the least I can do is help pass that on to someone in a similar situation to me. And mm. it's just so happened that in these last couple of years that's been um, – that's um, become tangible in this sort of whole acting thing, you know, mm. and people are going, oh, great, so where do I start? How do I get mm. a TV role or how do I get an agent or, you know, or training or whatever? And that's something that I had no idea what to do and I was lucky that I had people that helped me. And then, you know, and I think it's it's a lovely, it makes me feel great if I'm able to help someone else get into that, um, get the ball rolling on something that they want to do and that might, you know, excite them or might be passionate about or learn a new passion or meet some new friends or meet a new community, you know. So, and that, that's definitely... Uh, <laughs> That's definitely what it's all about. Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you touched on there something about you said there um, that you know you've you've had occasions when you've been excluded. Mm. One of one of the questions that sprung to mind when you when you were talking about um, you know working with uh, writing with the disabled, for instance. And, yeah. You know, neurodiverse people and and being inclusive. Um, you know, I, I agree with you. I think it's really important that people feel um, inclusive. You know, in, in a lot of workplaces and in, in my day job. Uh, we will look at that. You know how how much people belong makes a big difference to how they feel about work and about their colleagues and their and their leaders and the bosses and managers and whatever. So, is there an example there where maybe you you know? And the question really is about what what's triggered that for you? Why are you involved in those groups? What's taking you in that direction? Was it just was it just chance, or was there something that's maybe you know in, elsewhere in your life that's uh, led you to? Um, working those spaces, um, you know, is that a, a, a exclusive moment for yourself, or w- what was it that's taking you in that direction? <clears throat> well, I have to say, I think when I was younger, you know, I definitely lacked a lot of confidence, and I, I had a, you know, a couple of things that I was actually um, that I was actually bullied quite a lot about, you know, and I had, um, yeah, I had when I was my childhood, it wasn't, yeah, definitely, um, you know. Uh, sort of moved around schools a couple of times, you know, due to that. And, um, like, I guess, you know, without getting too far into it, I guess I could say that I definitely know what it, what it felt like to feel ostracised and excluded. And, um, and it, yeah, it really was, like, a, a horrible feeling. And I was lucky that I had, 
um, you know, people like my mum and my, my old man and whatnot in my life that were always there for me and my babysitter at the time and a teacher aide at the time as well, um, you know, and, and that was a long time ago now, um, you know, and, I, and I've come into my adulthood and but that, that feeling has never left me. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, it's not, it's not something that goes away, is it? Something you, you're clearly you're talking about it now, so you've still got the memories of that, so quite impactful. Exactly. Yeah, that's right. I do. Um, I do definitely have all of those memories um, still, you know, present with me, and that's, um, you know, something that, uh, yeah, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't really, uh, you know, go away. And I, I, the thing is, is, you know, I wouldn't um, go back and change any of that though, because I feel like I might have uh, not been able to make a positive difference that I have on, you know, people's lives and. Um, yeah, and I think what sort of happened was as I got a bit older and I got bigger and stronger and, you know, more confident and stuff and I learned to stand up for myself and, and other people and, and everything mm. and that was something that I just took pride and joy in doing is standing mm. up for people and if I thought I s thought someone was, you know, being picked on or excluded or whatever, that's definitely not something that would be rolling around mm. with me, you know. And and then um, <clears throat> went to... Sorry, I was just going to say though, I think, I think you know, this this features quite a, quite a lot, I think, in people's stories that... Sometimes the negative stuff turns into a real positive. Yeah, exactly. Doesn't it? it makes you right. kind of see things from a different perspective that yeah. maybe the the bullies don't see. Yeah. But you see life from a different perspective, and that shapes who you become as an adult and how you behave with other people. Very much so. Yes, yeah, Steve. Absolutely. You know, and if I'd grown up just um, you know never always having you know been in the centre of attention and always having all the friends and always being the cool guy and stuff, or you know, I definitely would just be a completely different person today. And, um, yeah, and I wouldn't change that for the world, although at the time I absolutely would have, you mm. know. I wish I could have just fast-forwarded time or time-travelled forward or whatever, you know, um, or just disappeared off the face of the earth or whatever. But, mm. um, yeah, I'm, I'm really grateful for um, the opportunities that, that I've had and the support crew I've had around me and that I was able to, you know, turn that around a little bit and, um, and, and again, use that, like you said. And, yeah, I would, I would be a different person today if I hadn't you know had that stuff going on in my life and um and I just don't even know where I would be right now and what I'd be doing and I just yeah so you know and I don't really go into all that kind of stuff very much at all not many people know that sort of background you know I think people probably take one look at me or whatever or see me on Instagram or whatever and probably assume you know very different upbringing for me you know but yes yeah, it's definitely um it's not the case you know it's only yeah. really yeah, so, um, but Every, I agree Everyone's got a story though, right? Everyone's got, and, and Absolutely. that's on the inside. We, we judge books by their covers, but we don't yeah. necessarily know the details on the inside, eh? Oh, absolutely. No, that's yeah. very true, yeah. So what was your, what was your childhood like then? Where, where, where did you grow up? What kind of, what, you know, what was your family like? And what, what, how were you as a character? You've alluded to some of that uh, you know, a little bit earlier on, but what were you like as a character? Uh, honestly, I, uh... <laughs> I think uh, I don't want to just say sports to like describe what I was as a child, as a character, or as a childhood, but that was a very prevalent thing in my life. I was doing like every sport that I could get my hand on, you know. Uh, yeah, so like mum and dad were running me across the countryside, you know, for rugby and basketball, and my little brother always having to tag along, you know, down to nationals in Christchurch and you know and that was his weekends taken up so I do feel for him and <laughs> in terms of that um but yeah I think I think that the the sports was huge because I guess you could say that um from there that you know that definitely stemmed into me meeting a lot of nice friends and also the great thing is you know is 
especially when you're playing on this sort of slightly higher level on the rep level, the national level, international level, you know, you end up meeting people from all around as well. And, you know, New Zealand being such a small country, you know, like I could just, you know, jump on a flight to Wellington or Christchurch or whatever, and I'm going to know people there just that I played basketball with, you know, and you catch mm. up with them at regionals every few months or whatever. And, and I think that was, that was cool. And, um, you know, uh, I think, yeah, that's uh, that's the main thing that I can remember from my childhood. So sport, sport, sport. Yeah. What, who, where, where did that come from? Is, is like, are you from a sporting family or? Yeah, yeah. My dad's really sporty. You know, he was um, he was really into his rugby. You know, he was uh, playing for Bay of Plenty and things, and he was on the you know All Blacks um, development squad and training squad and everything. And um, and he's a body bodybuilder as well. Right. So you know, um, a lot of gymming and stuff. And then um, and then he had me. And um, and he started his own business, and um, and then yeah, you know, focused on that, and I guess that's definitely where some of the sporting side of things came from, and um, yeah, so it's it's been like it's come around in a big three sixty because just uh, as of this year, I've been helping him out a lot of the family business, which has been awesome, you know. Yeah, yeah. cool. That's pretty cool. Then when you get to work with your family. It is, yeah. It's well, it could be. I mean, I suppose there's, there's, <laughs> there's, there's a pros and cons, maybe. I'm not so sure. <laughs> there's always, you know, the odd little ups and downs, but I think I'm, I'm pretty lucky. I think uh, yeah. it's great. You know, it's definitely something that we've bonded over as well, you yeah, know, yeah. and, and um, it's been yeah, it's been really incredible. It's been really incredible, actually, yeah. So it's cool. Oh, that's good. That's cool. So is that, you know, when you were a younger fellow then, what, what was your sort of hopes and aspirations about what you wanted to do when you, when you grew up? Uh, and when I say that, I'm still working it out for myself. But, you know, was, was sports going to be a, a feature for you, you know, yeah. when you were a younger fellow? Is that what you thought? Mm, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, yeah, I definitely always thought I was going to be a professional rugby or a professional basketball player, um, you know, even up into my adulthood as well, you know. And, and when I was, when I was um, at high school here in Tauranga, <clears throat> in my last year I was captain of the Tauranga boys team, you know, and um, – we went to uh, a Super 8 competition. It's the eight, boy, eight, eight boys' schools in New Zealand, Westlake and everything. And um, I ended up doing pretty well. And in the, in the finals, ended up getting like my personal best, which was like 55 points or something and a couple of dunks, you know. Mm. And the, the coach of the um, Manawatu Jets was on the stage. So that's the National Basketball League. So you got the NBL, which the Breakers play in, which is the Australian one. Yeah. You know, Wollongong Hawks, Sydney Kings. And then you got the New Zealand one. So, yeah, so they basically sort of said, you know, if I wanted to go to Palmy and they'll pay for me to do my degree and, you know, come do that. And I was like, wow, I was so wrapped, you know. And, and then fortunately I ended up having uh, another opportunity which was a little bit closer to home, you know, over in the Tron. And, again, a really great opportunity, you know, covering the de- covering all the costs of university. And plus, you know, with the Suburban Hillary one, there was lead- leadership uh, mentoring programs and public speaking things and uh yeah. you know gym memberships and trainers and dietitians and all sorts of stuff you know it's training the future leaders and whatnot and and um yeah so you know i was just like yeah great i'll that's the next step and i'll play the idea was to play for the waikato pistons and then in that that season they didn't have a team you know and um there was no team in the, in the nbl and and um so i was just playing you know as the captain of the waikato men's team and also the waikato uni team and then um yeah and then i've i've sort of slipped into the transitioned into the acting side of things mm. but yeah i guess in answer to your question i wanted to be like a writer like a creative writer a chef a really creative chef or a professional sportsman 
Right. And um, yeah, I hadn't I hadn't done a whole lot of acting, but I knew I would love to be in films, but it didn't seem like a realistic, you know, uh, thing for me. Whereas, you know, professional sports, um, obviously it was a realistic thing for me to yeah, transition yeah. into because I was pretty well there, you know. Sure. Yeah. So before I ask you the question about, about that and where the sport, you know, sort of sport went and, and the decisions around that, you, you mentioned there about, um, you know, being a bit closer to home. <clears throat> was that important for you? Oh yeah, you know, I think um, I think everyone's got their own relationship with, um, you know, if they want to be close or far from the nest. It just reminds me of um, my one of my flatmates, you know, and she's only twenty and she's from Australia originally, so she's living on the in a different country at the age of twenty, you know, just renting, working a job away from the mum, you know, away from the family and. I just couldn't really, you know, fathom that myself or not at this point in time. And, you know, if I got a great role over in, you know, Cali or Sydney or something and go and do that for a couple of months and come back or whatever, that's one thing. But just to, you know, do that, I I really, uh, I liked being in Hamilton with the with the rents back here in Tauranga. Um, I could shoot home on the weekends and, you yeah. know, have the odd steak or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, so, yeah, that, that is important for Bring me. Bring your washing home. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Bring them washing home. I still do a little bit for my house over the bridge to the rent house. But, yeah, I think that's huge for me. I like to – it definitely helps me feel grounded. Um, I'm just really lucky. If I ever feel really bad or really crap about something, I know I can just, just get make that call or just jump in that car and – and um, you know, mum and, and the old man and whatnot would definitely be able to help me out for that one. Yeah. So I'm I'm lucky. I feel bad saying that because I know a lot of people don't have the opportunity. But I've got to be grateful for what I got, you know. And that's something mm. that's that's always been consistent for me. And I'm super grateful for that. So. So quite a tight family then, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Quite a tight family. Yeah. And um, just as we've gotten older, we've all just gotten closer. And I guess I was maybe you know probably a little bit of a privileged brat at at sometimes you know and I didn't you know might not have fully appreciated everything that was been doing for me when I was younger and now I come back and you know you just appreciate all the little things and and you also think about you know everything that the rent said for me like driving up and down the countryside taking me to my basketball games and you know that's that's a big part of your life if you're dedicating a lot of your weekends to that you know mm. um they gave me every opportunity I could to you know to do that so um you know so yeah so it is a big thing for me for sure yeah 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 okay all right. So let's go back to sport then. Yeah, um, sure. Basketball. Uh, what, you know, your aspirations there and you, you were clearly on a, on, a, on a pathway there. What was, you know, if I can ask you, I'm always fascinated by, by what yeah. drives people and what, you know, what, um, you know, how they apply themselves to get to where they want to be. So for you, was that just like a, you know, was it a conscious thing that you were working towards or was it just kind of happening well I think it was a little bit of both I think um like I knew basketball like the back of my own hand and rugby as well I was in the first team for rugby and basketball and then I had to pick one right you know because we were going to exchanges so we'd go to Westlake and the first teams would go and you know I was a captain of the basketball team and then one minute I'd be playing rugby and we couldn't have that you know yeah, coaches yeah. Weren't too happy. so um yeah so you know if yeah, focus on basketball and I think obviously so yeah sort of a subconscious thing but also like I was lucky enough that in the in the pathways I was in I was made aware of the you know of the career opportunities and and, and how to get into those so I was always planning and thinking you know and and in terms of like what made me tick, like I really, you know, for basketball, I really did have that drive, you know, like I'd be out each night just shooting hoops constantly, you know, trying to get a thousand shots up each night right right into the dark, you know, and even when I did tennis, like I'd take a big bucket of balls down and just work on my serve all morning, just by myself against the thing, you know, and 
I was just so dedicated because I really wanted to, you know, be a professional sports person. And that was just like, yeah, that was just my life, you know. And um, and then I think in a in a similar in a similar kind of sense that that transitioned into acting, um, you know, which we can we can get into how that happened. But that's you know that's mm. a similar feeling that I that I get that um, in, you know, and with basketball, I always you know see my mates playing on the TV all the time now and stuff and. I always think, oh, you know, that'd be great. Maybe I should, you know. But it does take a, a lot of hard work and dedication and commitment to maintain that kind of lifestyle of being a professional sports person. Mm. And I feel like, you know, you really got to, that's what you want to do if, you know, if you want to be committing to that. Mm. Um, you know, and I decided that at this point in time, that's not my biggest priority right now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So what, but what did you learn from, you know, from sport, from, you know, what you've just yeah. been saying there, you know, being dedicated and committed to something? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think it not only benefits you in, in, the, in the activity you're in, the sport you're in or whatever it is, but, you know, that's kind of teaching you about life, isn't it? About how yeah. to apply yourself. Yeah, uh, 100%. So what, what lessons did you learn from, from those basketball days? Yeah, so the, from the basketball days, like, first of all, time management for me, you know, because, like, you've still got other commitments in life, you know, and whether it's at high school and you've got an assignment you got to do or mm. uni and you've got an assignment you got to do or you need to actually work a job to survive, uh, you know, so you need to get good with your time management. That's something that I learned through sports as well, making sure I get into trainings on time and making a good impression on the on the coach and if you're the captain, you can't be just rolling up late all the time at all, you know. Mm. Um, so, yeah, time management and discipline, getting up early and, you know, when we were at high school, we had a pretty um, – pretty full-on training regiment as well you know we every morning monday to friday uh, we do fitness training and every lunchtime shooting training and every day after school at least one training or game and sometimes it'd be two you know because we'd play in the men's league and the school league because the school league was <laughs> but yeah <laughs> nah, so um yeah honestly i think um, definitely like discipline time management and then just your camaraderie as well so if you're working in like a team sport and I'm sure that, say, if you're doing golf, you've got a whole team of people around you as well. Um, you're coaching staff and management and everything. But, you know, like in my experience with the team sports, it's been awesome and <coughs> learning how to work with other people, you know, uh, and to compromise and to negotiate. And and I learned, you know, not always just going, you know, trying to get the ball and, and make a beeline for the hoop, but to use your teammates, you know, and help each other out. So that I think that definitely applies to things outside of sports as well, mm. um, you know, and, and that's what can make people more efficient is when you don't try to do everything yourself, but maybe you do the thing, the task that you're really good at, and then, you you know, you work with or you employ someone else to do something that they have a competitive advantage in, and then you can come together and make a, a overall product or team or business that that's really you know optimal yeah that's the nature of a team isn't it bringing all the different parts together yeah, to, exactly. to work to work together like i suppose like cogs in a swiss watch or something yeah exactly know? yeah um, yeah it's like the different positions like you know you got your point guards your three point specialists your big man underneath you know what mm. i mean so mm. that that's like that and then it, it just it just applies to you know even like going further out like when i was at uni i was studying finance and economics you know and um, like we did, I did a lot of stuff in to do with international trade, and we were talking about you know different countries that have say various natural resources, so they specialize in you know in a certain industry, and they can you know make as as much you know produce as much output of that as they can, and then you know another country that's really good at you know something else, and then talking about trading as opposed to you know trying to do everything yourself 
you know, at a not an efficient thing. And and I just found that interesting, you know, and I, I remember, you know, when we were talking about the, the states and how they're saying, you know, like it wasn't efficient for them to be making their own, you know, guns and weapons and things. But uh, even though that may be the case, they were, you know, not wanting to rely on another country to be making that for them just in case, you know, things went belly up. So, mm. you know, making something at a loss. But I'm going on a, on a tangent here, but I just I do find all that stuff really interesting, you know. Yeah. Well, it's about, it's about how we behave together, isn't it? Yeah. How, how we work, how we function. Yeah, whether exactly. That's, whether that's on an international stage, like you're describing there, or whether it's actually, you know, at a micro level as part of a family. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, you had a thought there. <laughs> <coughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think, um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's like you were saying earlier, I think the people that you work with can make a huge difference on your happiness and your motivation levels in the workplace or in your living environment. Um, and, you know, I, I think that's, yeah, that's just something that, you know, you got to be aware of as well as if, you know, if that's not the energy that is helping you, just being aware of what energy you're letting in. And I, I think it comes back to just knowing that you can't control everything, you know, just you can only control the things that are within your bubble. And if something else isn't serving you, then you just need to, you know, be aware of that mm. and how you're going to navigate that. Mm. And I know, like, from my personal experience that when I am in the in the workplace and, and people are, you know, positive and, and, positive and want to be there, and it really makes a huge difference for me and my mindset. And sometimes when that's not the case, which will happen because that's not our con- you know, out of our control and people could be going through all sorts of things that we don't know about, uh, you know, but just, like I said, just being aware of that and then not letting that have a negative impact on your energy and mm. how you're doing and your mm. outlook on life and your motiv- motivation levels for that day. But I do have a couple of things that I think that can really help kind of push you through those times as well for sure so I think one thing that I actually I heard about or someone might have told me I don't know how it came into my life but it's a really good one um and it's talking about how uh you know your your say your happiness levels just to keep it keep it broad um those can go up and down you know all the time obviously we can't expect to always be feeling super positive and you know at the top of our game all the time and I think that the, you know, the difference that, you know, you, you, you want to be aware of is that <clears throat> if you are having one of those days where you're feeling, a, you know, a bit down or a little bit lower, you know, in, in terms of some of those levels, uh, it's like how you respond to that. And you don't need, uh, you don't need for, for that to be, you know, instantly positive. It, it's, not a, it's not a bad thing to feel all the feels, you know. Mm. And again, it's like when things happen in your life, you talk about emotion and I remember my acting coach, you know, said to this, but it's emotion is like energy in motion, you know, it's going to move. And I think it's great to get out, go for a walk, be physically active and, and move around. Um, but the, the, the point that I was getting to was, it's like when you see a, a full moon, a full moon, you know, and it's beautiful and radiant and, and, you know, glowing and so luscious, you know. And then when you see like a small, uh, like say like a one fifth of a moon or, whatever the terminology is for that, you don't look at it and go, oh, like, it's only a little wee moon, it's only a little, not for, it's a bit dull tonight, isn't it? You know, it's still still magnificent, you know? You look up and you go, wow, it's incredible. It looks like the DreamWorks thing. Or, you know, you just go, yeah, it's, that's, that's, that's lovely. 
and you know full well in your mind that in three weeks' time, that is going to be a full moon. Like, it's the cycle. There's no other thing around that. And just a week ago, it was a full moon, you know? And I think that's something to be aware of is, you know, things go in cycles. And it's like, if you just know that if you are having a day like that, you, you know, you don't want to be crapping on yourself about it because you know that you still got to appreciate the feeling that you are having right now for being beautiful and radiant because it is in its own sense. And you know that in a, in, you know, in a couple of days or in a couple of weeks or a couple of months that you will be back at that full moon, that full moon, you know. And, and I think one thing to help you get through that is this, this sort of uh, pulling on the feeling of when you did last feel like quite full, you know, full in a, in a sense, you know, and, uh, and, and just remind yourself of what that felt like. And it's like the whole fake it till you make it thing. But if you are having one of those days, just know that you are going to be having that full feeling so soon. And if you really just hold on to that and imagine that, then it can kind of take over you and you can kind of become that. And if not, you know that it's just around the corner. And if you've got to push it up for another couple of days or another week or two, and you get back to that, that full moon cycle, you know, and just know that that's, that's how things happen. I think when you get in your head, you know, thinking that this is going to be you, you know, forever now, that it can definitely make things feel a lot worse at the time. Mm. There's a lot in that that you've just been saying there. I, I think... You know, some of the things that spring to mind while you're talking there, Connor, is that nothing is constant. Nothing remains constant. Things change. Things pass. Yes. And like you say, you know, it's, everything's kind of cyclical, right? So uh, if you're having a shit day, it's not going to be, you know, like that permanently. Things will change. Mm. But a lot of it as well is down to your perspective and how you see things. Yes, Like exactly. you said, you might see, uh, you know, um, a sliver of moon, <laughs> but actually the moon's still there. And so are you looking at the moon just in a, in a different uh, phase? Or is it, you know, are, are you, have you got the perspective that you're looking at something different? It's not, it's the same. It's like, well, actually, something sprung, sprung to mind when you were talking there about someone uh, once said to me that even on the cloudiest of days, the sun's still there. You just can't see it, but mm. you've got to know that it's still there. Yeah. You know, yeah. so these kind of things are important either when you've got your ups and downs and when you're having a bad day. And like, for instance, you know, I think this is relevant to what you talked about with, you know, bullying. Because a lot of bullying goes on in schools and, and uh, in, in teams and groups, in workplaces. Mm. Um, you know, it's, it's, good to, it's good to understand that actually it's about perspective. It's about how you see things and knowing that things don't, don't last and that yeah. actually you don't have yeah. to view it that way. Exactly, yeah, especially, yeah. you know, if you are at high school and you're listening to this or, um, you know, or in a job or it's, you know, whatever it is, like, I think especially high school is the one where it can feel like the stuff that you're dealing with from these, you know, external factors, these other people and stuff, you feel like that's going to be something that you're going to be putting up with for the rest of your life and, um, you know, and everyone goes off and does their different sort of different things after high school, but it's just very much not the case, you know, mm. and once you get out of that little bubble, you just realize that there's so many like crazy and beautiful and different people out there just fully express themselves and living their life. Mm. And, um, and that, you know, no one, yeah, no one, people just start to mind their own business a bit more as well. You know, no one's up in your grill talking about what kind of shoes you're wearing or whatever, you know? Mm. And, um, and yeah, and, and in terms of things constantly changing, um, I feel like, one one thing that I, that I've been thinking about a lot lately is that when you have someone that you know uh, 
that means a lot to you and um, that you know that that's there for you and has your back and, and whatnot. I think it's important to really hold on to that and nurture those relationships. And I found that in my I found that like Todonga, for example, it's like a bit of an arrival departure lounge. Everyone's always coming and going <laughs> and um, coming in and out <laughs> of my life. And you know, and 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 I'm sure that you know people can sort of understand where I'm coming from and that. And you know, I've had a lot of people that have been you know very very close to me, and then and then next minute they're off on a flight to the other side of the world. You know, and I think that's just something to to really nurture when those people are there in your life to be present with them, and to you know show your appreciation and 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 if you know if you're thinking about something like tell them how much you love them. You know, and tell them what 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 you're what you're thinking about them because the thing is, is they just don't know necessarily otherwise. You know, and they just don't know you're thinking that. And and you know, I feel like especially if it is like something positive that you got to say, um, you know, people really love it when you say that. And and you know, people always guess second guess themselves and think, oh, <clears throat> I do really love that outfit, but I just don't want to be weird and go up. And say, <laughs> honestly, like if you just go and say it, say, you know, wow, oh, that's that's a really cool outfit you know whatever um i think that could just make someone stay and you know again like what we see on the outside versus what we see on the inside like they could look like they get compliments all the time and that they're a superstar and whatever but they could you know be feeling very small in that moment it could be feeling the opposite of that and those simple words might make a huge difference for them you know and um so yeah, I, I think that's an important thing as well so is that something that you kind of live by is that like you say what's on your mind yeah, uh, and, and yeah. express yourself that way, right? You used the term earlier, but I was going to pick up on that about you know expressing yourself. Is that? Yeah, yeah. I think that is actually something that's I haven't been fully aware that it's something that I do, but now I can. Now I think about it. I think when I was younger, I definitely with withheld a lot more. You know, I withheld a lot more uh, from saying things on impulses, on on all that kind of stuff. And I think that coming into my acting journey and just, you know, becoming a man and, and, and every, everything else in these last couple of years, I have learned to kind of own my own voice a little bit more and, um, and yeah, to, uh, you know, it's not always about just saying everything that comes into your mind, but I think it's important to, like we talk about this in acting a lot, to follow your impulses, you know, and like just a simple example is like if you're in the scene, and you know you're there, and then you had the impulse to you know to do something. You know you want to go for it. Uh, obviously, as long as it's safe and consensual and everything, you know. But if you when you block those impulses, when you block, it, it really does show, and it reads you know it reads in the in the performance. And something just doesn't quite sit quite right with the audience to feel quite right, and that's something that can help help everything feel very natural in the frame as well, you know. And and um, it's like you're trying to contain it. Yeah, it? yeah, yeah, yeah. So that you, you, like, if you're trying to contain something, I can imagine you could stiffen up a little bit and not be as free. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And then that could very much show on camera, you yeah. know. But just to be clear, I'm, there's, you know, I'm not talking about like playing against, you know, in the in the in the sense of acting. I'm not talking about, you know, if the character wants one thing and that and then you're doing something else. Like, you know, that that's great. What I'm talking about is. If you as the actor and you're you know you're you're in and you're feeling and you're in the body of that that character and you you as a character have an impulse to do something and then you as the actor say no 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 don't do that that's weird or you know I don't don't see people on Netflix do that so don't do that that's when you know all of a sudden the actor voice is talking and that's when you can get that stiffness you yeah. know yeah well you're taking yourself out of flow aren't you 
Yeah, exactly. Right? Because yeah. now you, now your brain is actually focusing on yeah. the voice in the head, telling you what you should and what you shouldn't do as opposed to just being. I think that flow thing is huge, you know, and, like, it's the same with me and when I'm playing basketball and I just get into this flow-like autonomous state and in that moment I'm really enjoying myself, I'm happy, I'm relaxed, I'm passionate and also that was a time um, that, you know, things that I was we talked about earlier in, in, in my childhood, um, that's when those things wouldn't be as prevalent. So, like, say, you know, feeling excluded or feeling embarrassed or shamed out from the other kids or... You know, also I, um, I, I, uh, I, I, uh, I, I've got OCD as well. When I was younger, I, I was, it was like a pretty big thing in my life, and um, I found like when I was playing basketball, that was the one time that it wouldn't, it wouldn't really take over my life or affect me in, in a negative way. I just, it would just, you know, go. And I think yeah. that's what I've been trying to do is get to this state with acting and sometimes when you really are in that flow, like just like you said then, in that flow in that scene, that's really beautiful and I think that's, that's probably a huge thing that people, you know, that you've discussed on the show and everything that are passionate about things that that's, they get into that state and, and that's when the magic happens, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the OCD side of things, I, you, you don't have to talk about this if you don't want to, but I'm, in, I'm genuinely interested. Mm. Um, what, how did that kind of manifest itself for you as a, as a young fella? Well, there was quite a lot of, um, quite a lot of uh, in ways that it sort of manifested itself. <clears throat> and uh, I think a, a, a big part of that really affected my sleep. Um, when I was, when, you know, after the busy day when I lied down in bed um, and finally was supposed to stop and rest, mm. that was when a lot of it, a lot of it uh, was affecting me then. And especially, especially mentally, and for me, it, it came across in, um, in in a few different mediums, a few different ways. You know, me just even just lying in my bed, you know, with my eyes shut, it was so visceral. Like the smell, the taste, everything, and it it was, it was yeah, it was just it was it was it was really it was it was incredible um, the way it affected me, and then it kind of it kind of. Uh, uh, that and anxiety and anxieties, they kind of worked off each other in a vicious cycle in a way. And then I'd be really anxious that I wasn't going to get enough sleep for school the next day. And I was thinking that that was, you know, the end of the world. That if I didn't get my six or seven or eight hours sleep or whatever, that I was just going to fall asleep in class. And then I was going to, you know, get behind. And then I wouldn't be able to, you know, get the job I wanted or or whatever. And this is like primary school stuff. And I, you know, and I think it. I think like a, it's just interesting, you know, because I need a psychologist to unpick some of these things. But you know, I, I also felt like, you know, my basketball, the pressure that I had for basketball, like being the captains of these teams and good teams with good reputations that were expected to win all the games, and you know, that that put a certain level of pressure on me as well. And you know, being a young kid when I first made the the starting five of the best basketball team, Tottenham Boys, you know, and I was fifteen, I was in year eleven. And there was boys, you know, that had been at the school for five years that had been waiting for the opportunity to be in the first five. And then I, you know, came along and, you know, and that, that had another pressure on its own, you know. And then all of a sudden I was just there, this nervous kid, you know, expected to get 20 points and 10 rebounds a game or whatever. And everyone's there uh, watching on to make sure I do. And, um, you know, so that, that I think performance anxiety came into things a lot, you know. And I know I'm going on a, on a, bit, of a bit of a tangent here, but I, I think in, in terms of the OCD, the great thing is, is that, it just became less prevalent in my life as I got older. Whatever happened, 
is like it's still there like you know when I when it, there's little things that I still do within every five minutes or every ten minutes that's like evidence of that part of my life that people might not notice but my parents and stuff do of course right, okay. I used to annoy the crap out of my brother because um, I'd need him to say things and I'll say you just do this and do this and tap me on the shoulder twice and right, then like okay, and it would, yeah, when yeah. it pulled in other people involved other people it really you know could really annoy my brother and, and, and my mum and, and stuff like that you know um, it was very full on you know it was definitely a big part of my life and sure. um, and these days like it's just yeah it hasn't affected me it doesn't affect me in the, in the same negative way that it did back then um, and it's very manageable for me now and but still, but still there, though, right? Yeah, and still there, and still right. there. And basketball was one of the things that helped me help me through that, though. And how did how did that help? I mean, I think it's interesting for for anyone listening who yeah, for who sure. may actually have you know OCD themselves. I yeah. they, they might not recognise it. Yeah, um, yeah, and, yeah, And now they will. Um, mm. They might know that they have. Uh, I think it's in, it's in, important to actually share different stories about and different perspectives on yeah. what what that's like for you and and how you've come to kind of, uh, well, is manage it the right term? Yeah, 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 for sure, yeah, I think so, yeah, Steve, yeah. And um, I remember I was, like, seeing, a, like, a child psychologist every couple of, every week or every couple of weeks or whatever um, just to kind of help, you know, smooth things with it or get some advice around it and just, and just everything that, you know, that was going on in my life at the time. And I remember I remember he, um, the, the person that we were working with at the time, because the, the thing was, is when it was when it kind of restricted me was you no know, not just me you know needing to say things and make sounds, but all the sleep side of things, but just physically, like I was constantly needing to do stuff physically, right. tapping things and feeling things and different textures and stuff, and oh, it just yeah, it would just make my like brain want to implode sometimes. Like I just couldn't get to that if I was trying to leave to go you know to my training or whatever, I just couldn't get out the house without doing all these things and going back and turning off the light switch back on and off six times and doing this one three times and doing that once. And and um, I remember when we were, we were seeing this this psychologist person, whatever, and um, I remember they he gave me like a, like a little thing that you put on your wrist, you could flick it. And he said like anytime you have, we call them habits anyway, that was what we, that was the terminology we used. And um, he said whenever these habits, like when you feel the need that you need to do that, mm. he said what you can do is you can just, have the, the one task where you just flick this and you try to resist all the urges for all that stuff and you just flick this and just say, I'm the basketball boy. And at the time I was like, man, that's cheesy. I can't have people hearing <laughs> me say that. Um, and I don't know if the whole flicking thing, like I don't know if that really, you know, um, helped me too much or just would would have ostracized me further at the time. But uh, yeah, I, I think um, just, just, yeah, just again, it's one of those things where you just, where I just kind of push you know, keep pushing through, you know, just keep my chin up. And, um, yeah, and it really got to a, to a point where I just have the self, had the self-confidence and, and the ability where that those things didn't, that they were more manageable for me. Sure. And now it's something that's so subtle that most people probably don't even, don't even know. And, yeah, um, and it's just so relieving to me after, of, of how much it did, it did affect me. Um, when I was younger and yeah just thinking about this now because I hadn't really talked about this um, again I haven't really talked about this at all really people outside my family um, you know but I can just remember all of the specific words and things that it, that it used to be and it was specific things and you know for a few months at a time it might just be 
a string of, of seven words um, and then and there was a while there for a couple of years where it did involve my brother and we were both living at home and I'd need him to say it to complete the habit and I and I couldn't not have him say it, you know, and he goes, I'm trying to watch the TV, mate, and I'm just <laughs> like, mm. you know, just say it, just, yeah, just yeah. say it, yeah. and then they're doing it, like, all right, and I just, It's quite debilitating, know, just, hey? Yeah, 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 and I just, I was just like, oh, I just needed that to happen for me to move on to mm. go and do whatever I was going to do, my homework or whatever, I just needed that, I needed to get that from him yeah. or, you know, do or do that myself if I could. So, yeah, so that was like, yeah, that was a pretty big part of things as well. Um but yeah. was, was that was that something that you you know like you talked about being bullied at school, and, and I think the the term was you know for for a few things was that part of it was was yeah were the be, behaviors at school you know relative to what you've just been describing to that, be honest not really okay. uh, that really wasn't a, a huge aspect of um of it as as far as I'm aware I think that probably would have affected my behavior in some ways and you know might have been a little bit different or whatever due to that in some ways but the big thing for me was that with my confidence at the time. I would do everything in my power to be hiding those uh, the, that interaction or that behaviour or basically when the habits were coming through, mm. I would be really trying hard for people to not be aware of that. But it would be very obvious and very prevalent for like my brother and my family because as soon as I get home, I could let the thing off the steam cap or whatever. Right, okay. You know, but when I was at school, I really wouldn't, I wouldn't be involving, unless it was like a best friend or best friend here or there at primary, I wouldn't be involving them in the habits. Sure. And it was, it was interesting, eh, you know. that it Interesting be, that you could do that. Yeah, exactly. That it could have such a strong grasp, hold over me. Yeah. But when I was playing basketball, it just wasn't there. For the first time, I wasn't, it wasn't there when I was in, the, in my flow playing basketball, you know. Um, and then obviously I was able to just contain it a bit more and, you know, at school, which is also interesting, I was able to, you know, manage those levels but still be doing things perhaps a little bit more internally or where no one was around, but they yeah. would still be there. Yeah. Uh, but then I was, when I was able to fully express it at home, it probably almost made it worse, you know. Mm. So mm. Uh, I, satisfying, I, felt satisfying though. Yeah, exacerbated at home, but I think what's interesting there is that you could manage it and control it at school, which maybe, I don't know, maybe you could answer this you know did that kind of give you an indication that you could manage it and get on top of it oh, Be because yeah. it was less prevalent at school it might have been there but you were able to control it yeah no, that's a great point steve and that was a huge one for me probably again more with the the basketball side of things you know knowing that and i was thinking to myself when it was really affecting me i was like how come you know last night my basketball game 40-odd minutes, it just never, one of these thoughts never once came into my head. I didn't have to say this or do that, you know. Mm. Of course, when mm. I was putting on my shoes, I'd be doing all my things and touching the ball or whatever I was doing before the game. But when I was in the game, you know, I wasn't there. And that was something like this whole full, full moon thing and whatnot. That was something that allowed me to see that it wasn't always going to be like this and that I wasn't going to be 24-7 stuck in right. this little own cage okay. of my own, in my own brain, my yeah. mind. And, um, yeah, so that definitely would have been one of the things that able to help push me through it. And um, yeah, I yeah. think at school I probably had a little bit, a couple of other worries and things that were going on that weren't related, uh, you know, that weren't um, fully encompassing the OCD. So there's other stuff going on there. But I think that the the bas knowing that I could play a game of basketball and it could just be relieved, was great. Yeah, but also showed you, uh, demonstrate to you that you can actually get relief from it and you can manage or control it. Yeah. I, 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 look, on, I'm not a psychologist, right? But I've I've spoken to a few people now. Um, about things like this, you know, um, that, that like disorders and stuff like that, whatever they call it, right? yeah, whatever yeah. the term, they all sound very negative, really. But at the end of the day, the things that kind of 
you know, grab you and can get a grip of you and, and constrain you in, in some way, shape or form. But it seems like, I mean, for me, it's a bit like um, speech impediments. And when, you know, and I think back to, the, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen it, the movie called The King's Speech, where when he listens to music, he's no longer got a speech impediment. You know, it's like you've got a, a, an overly busy brain, but if you give it something, and it's not just something, it might, it's your thing, whatever it is, to focus on, then that kind of stuff fades in the background. So it's like yeah. basketball was was your thing, wasn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, that's that's absolutely right. And I think that, uh, you know, for really busy people as well, um, like having that silence, actually I, seen, I heard something the other day and it's like for people that lead really busy lives and they've got lots of stuff going on and maybe struggling to get to sleep at night mm. and it was like um, when, you, when you get home, rather than just going straight to the stillness and the silence and just being in your head of all the things going on, as a, as, a, as a stressed out person, you need to do something that actually stresses your body, that puts you in that stressful state before you're able to get to that. So if you have been running around at work like a headless chicken or whatever, and then you get home, just going for like a 10-minute walk or, you know, something like that, that's actually is putting a little bit of stress on your body there, a little bit of stress on your body and your mind, and that is actually what's needed for someone that's in that situation to be able to get to that point of stillness and rest and silence, you know? Right. So, um, okay. yeah, so I guess that's, um, that's just like, you know, when you're fully flowing, you know, when you're listening to the music and it's helping, you know, helping with, with, your, with your speech, it's like whatever it is for you that enables you to get there. And um, I wish I had all the answers for everyone and I could help everyone that is going through that. But I guess that might be a bit of a trial and error kind of thing where if you don't have yeah. to think about it, what might have worked for you in the past? Yeah, maybe that. I think that's maybe the thing. And again, I'm not, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know. But again, just based on numerous conversations I've had, that I've had, I think it's, it's like a lot of things in life. You've got to find out what works for you. You've got to find that thing. That, but the important thing is, and, and you sharing it, and I'm grateful for you sharing this stuff. Uh, like you've said, you've never really talked about it too much outside of mm. your family. So I appreciate you opening up and sharing that with us. I, I think it's important for, for, pe for people to hear and understand that so many people are dealing with these kind of things. But the important thing is as well to know that there is actually light at the end of the tunnel. There is a full moon, like yeah. you just described. You know, there, was, there is yeah. a full moon again. Yeah, there exactly. is a way of actually dealing with it. You've just got to find your way. And I think, uh, again, with most people that I've spoken to, it's being able to talk about it with the right people who can give you some help and guidance and then you find your way. Yeah, um, yeah, that's right. You yeah. know, there's so many people that probably don't talk about things Yeah, uh, and are trying to cope with it themselves. And, and again, it's that lack of expression, isn't it? You're trying to control it again. Yep, that's right. I think that there's a lot there's a lot that can um that can that can be improved or can help if you do um you know have take that sort of um that 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 uh risky step or that vulnerable step and actually do talk to uh talk to someone about it. Mm. You know, and I know that I do come from a privileged position that I've that I've got uh, ear that's willing to listen to that and I know that you know that's not the case for everyone but I think if you do have the opportunity even though it might seem scary I think it really can help when you do talk um, you know about things that arise and you'd probably be surprised you know because sometimes we think we imagine in our head we presume what the reaction is going to be before we even say it and um, you know just like you said everyone a lot of, most people have got things like this going on the person you're talking to probably does as well mm. and you know if you talk to them 
then that might give them the confidence to be able to talk about what's going on for them, either to you or to someone else that they feel comfortable doing that, mm. um, which is going to be you know a positive chain reaction for people in terms of seeking help and uh, not bottling everything up, not bottling everything up and keeping it to themselves. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'd like to take a moment to talk about one of our sponsors. I'm really pleased to announce that we have Sharp New Zealand as a sponsor. And it's great to have Sharp on board because as a customer, I can speak about their products and services from personal experience. And it feels good to be able to endorse and recommend a company because of the level of satisfaction we have regarding the services they provide. And across my businesses, we've certainly been impressed with the care and collaboration we've experienced in our dealings with Sharp. It's certainly a brand that we trust. Sharp has a long history of creating breakthrough products designed to meet the needs of people living in New Zealand. Sharp's leadership in technology innovation ensures it's at the forefront of the pack, providing business solutions from printing and photocopying to interactive meeting solutions and ICT phone systems. No matter where you are or what size your organization, whether you're large or small, Sharp New Zealand can provide their services to you nationwide. If you're looking to upgrade your technology or renew your photocopier leases, talk to your local Sharp team or visit the website at sharp.net.nz. We've we've mentioned the term expressing yourself uh, a few times now. I'd really like to talk about your acting career. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, And... um, and how that started, right? So you, you said that you were you're at university and you were playing basketball, basketball at a, you know a high level, mm. um, and you know had options in that direction. But then you you've you've changed direction. Yeah. And so can you yeah. talk us through a little bit about about that? Yeah, for sure, um, Steve. It was such an interesting one because I really didn't know at one point if I was going to be like an investment banker or a professional basketballer or an actor. You know. And um, I was really loving the finance and economic stuff as well. I really was, you know, and had a great couple of opportunities that I was able to do some interning at uh, investment banks and I got to pop over to Sydney and, and do a little bit, of, little bit of stuff with Morgan Stanley's over there and everything. And, um, you know, and I remember I was like, at the time I was flatting with a couple of, couple of guys that loved making movies and they didn't like being on the front of the camera, but they loved... One of them was doing the camera work and the other one, he was really good on the CGI on the computer doing explosions and fights. <laughs> they love filming fight scenes, you know, and, and they did the sound and the camera and stuff, you know. And, and I remember I was like, I was doing my finance and stuff and I was doing my basketball and, and then I seen this thing pop up and they were trying to audition for, you know, one of their school projects or whatever. There, there's a drama school in Hamilton. And... Um, and I thought, oh, what the heck? It seems like a cool idea. Well, it was called Wands. Wands, like Harry Potter Wands. And um, it was like these two detectives. And one of them was like really like, you know, strong, good-looking, charismatic. And he had all the superpowers. Um, but it was like a bit dumb or whatever. And then the other one is like a, a smaller, smaller fellow. He's a detective. And he knew everything there was to know about spells and magical powers and everything and all the intricacies around it, but he just simply wasn't magical. And it was in a magical <laughs> world, you know, he just didn't have the powers. And um, it was this, yeah, and we were like two detective partners, and I was like twice the size and stuff. And But I auditioned <laughs> for that, and I met the guys through that, you know, and we did that. It was awesome. And 
still, my old man's actually got the movie poster up on his in his office at, at, at his right. work still. And that was yeah, uh, yeah. going back a little bit now because I started uni in 2015. Um, so yeah, and anyway, uh, within a couple of months, I was flatting with these two guys, and every weekend we were filming. We'd go down to Mystery Creek, you know. We'd, I love filming in the Tron because it was like mystical mornings and it was all foggy, you know. And yeah. we'd always be up at the crack of dawn and we'd be in the go to the forests and down by the down by the gardens there. We found a couple of cool spots down by the river and it'd be all foggy and misty. And we'd film little vampire movies and they really, like I said earlier, they did really love their fight stuff, eh? Like if you look on their YouTube channel, it was a lot of that and it was me on the front of the camera and then behind <laughs> the camera and, and all their mates being extras and. Well, we're doing all sorts of things, you know, and uh, like I'd come in and, and it was great because I kind of learned how to be on set, you know. I learned about, uh, you know, how we start off with like an establishing shot and, and how you work through and you get tighter and tighter and then you might finish on that, that close-up and how you want to kind of save the juice for that and, you know, just all these little etiquette things and the mics and, you know, yeah, takes and rehearsals and blocking and, and you know, that was a way that I, I learned those things and, and I, I loved um, working with those guys and, and then I wanted to try things on a bigger scale. Um, and so, sorry, sorry, can I just ask you? So those were your flatmates, is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So were, were they studying yeah, like, so filmmaking? Yeah, they were both studying filmmaking in right. Hamilton and okay. they put out an audition notice and I didn't even know them at this time for this thing, you know. And I went there and I did the audition and I'd never really done much acting at all. And um, and then they were like, oh, you're perfect for the role. <laughs> and, I, um, and I did that. And, um, yeah, and I just got along really well with them. And then, like, within a couple of months, they'd become my best friends. Right. We'd all moved into a flat together. And yeah. over the next three or four years at uni, while I was doing yeah. everything else, we proceeded to make our own short films. And they would do all the technical stuff, and I'd be in front of the camera. So I was always in the front of the camera. And I was, it was great because I was learning to get used to the cameras and um, and get used to not... I remember when I used to, even just the presence of like, just seeing that, that black camera, that electronic device in the corner of the room would make me feel red or make me feel hot or make me feel aware or make me feel stiff, you know? And that was something I knew I had to get over. And I, I got some really great tips about that, like specific acting stuff as well, like if we get to that or whatever. Um, but that, that was what was sort of happening. And then like I was saying, Steve, I like, I wanted to try it on the next scale, uh, you know, being on a, in an actual TV series. And at that point in time, without like you know having much training under my belt, the only option was to you know try doing some extra work. So I ended up working on West Side, it was like season three and season four. I was like you know, and it was awesome, and I loved being on set. You know, and they were transporting us in the in the van from the TV studio down to the location. And I remember you know the actors had their slides and they were reading their things, and I was helping them rehearse and reading the thing. I was like wow, this is so cool. Like imagine if <laughs> I had a character with a name and I had my own slides and yeah. I was like, what do I have to do to get from where I am now to have my own slides and be on the way to location to read lines in front of the camera? Yeah. And, um, and then but, that but was... But where, where, where did that passion come from then? So, I mean, I mean, because you, you were studying finance, uh, basketball, um, and then you, you auditioned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but, you know, was there a... Was there a um, part of you that kind of was interested in, in acting and yeah well look the thing that I was interested in was I loved the whole like you know like showmanship and, right. and I love you know mum would take me to the theater theater and you know we'd go and see shows and we went and seen um the Aquinas College high school show and a guy that was in my rugby team played Peter Pan in it 
and he did an amazing job and I was like, I thought it was just the coolest thing ever. And I always had this back and forth relationship where I would have loved to have done the drama and the acting, but like, as I mentioned before about my schedule of the trainings, it just simply wasn't possible, you know? And even in the, even in the drama school, like the period that that was in the day, it was at the same time as this thing at Tauranga Boys, it's called Titans. And there's basically like the best player from each sporting code in the school was in it, you know, and um, and that was in the same period as drama, you know, and, and I had to do being that representing basketball, of course, you know, and and um, it was only in the last year that I they that I, they put me in there and I said to them my English because I loved English and I love movies, I love TV shows, like my room was just covered in movie posters, you know, and I was obsessed like with with you know the idea of acting in movies and stuff, but. I just had never had the space to be able to make that first step, you know. And um, it wasn't until I got in front of the camera, you know, when I was at union and I met those fellas, you know, Dwight and Cody, and and um, and I was just like, wow, this is um, this is different. This is cool. Yeah, it's interesting eh, how you you were fascinated with all of that, but yet you were going down the sports and the finance side of things. You know, exactly. Like you, you yeah. Kind exactly. Of maybe found your element yet. Yeah, that's right, because I fairly felt like I had found my element in lots of ways, Steve, you know, and and it was it was interesting that I hadn't, you know, always considered that as a as a serious option, you know, and I remember going to a career counsellor and I remember that she was saying that, you know, I could, you know, because we had to work out what degree I was going to do as well, because at that time I'd, you know, gotten offered the full ride, but I hadn't, you know, I didn't know what I was going to study or anything, and you know, I hadn't really made any plans apart from basketball. And all of a sudden, they're like, right, what are you going to study for the next four years? Because when you finish basketball, that's going to be your career, potentially. You know, and, and I sort of, you know, had to pick. So I wasn't always hugely into business necessarily, but I knew that that was something that would lead to career opportunities. So that was where that came from. And then I just fell in love with it as I was going. And obviously, I, I loved my basketball. And, and yeah, and then and then sort of some of those opportunities for the you know the drama side of things came up, and I remember that career counselor was sort of saying, oh, you know, why, why don't you do your business? You know, your basket play your basketball, and it'll pay for your business degree, and then you know you can go and get a great job, and you can do a bit of community theatre on the weekend or after work, you can do a little bit of a whatever, and that was just kind of you know I guess that was sort of what was drilled into me, uh, you know, and then um, and I've met people now that do do acting all the time you know that do live that do work live and work in the film industry constantly and that is their job and there is a lot of career opportunity uh you know not just within the acting department but in, you know in the film industry in general that is actually something if if you really like that and film and tv does it does excite me um yeah, so that's probably why I hadn't fully considered it as a serious thing because I was probably too scared to, you know, take that leap and not have that background security, which I can imagine like a lot of people have that kind of feeling, you know. Yeah, and I, I, I look, I, th I think I can understand that. I mean, it's, it's a little bit like a lot of the arts, isn't it? It's oh, yeah. like, you know, it's it's hard to kind of make a way, uh, make your way in certain uh, certain things. What were your parents um, like in, in respect of you pursuing this path? I mean, obviously, like we've said repeatedly, you're at university, you're doing well in, in other areas, yeah. and, and then all of a sudden, you want to take this tack and look at acting as a as a career. Is that is that was a was that a conscious decision, by the way, at that point in time, or have you is that kind of evolved? Yeah. At what point did you, you know, decide to sort of move in that direction, and, and what support did you get? Those are both great great questions, um, Steve. I remember uh, there was one point in particular 
when I had a really, I was in my third year, three out of the four years at uni, and I was having a bit of a, a bad experience uh, with a certain paper, with a certain assignment, and I'm not going to get into get into the details too much. <laughs> but um, anyway, I remember I called, um, I called up Dad actually, and um, and this was the time where I just started doing these short films, and I thought it was awesome. And um, and I'd actually, you know, when I did that extra work and I was figuring out what to do, and they said, oh, you need to get some proper training, like go to some proper classes, you know, if you want to if you want to get your own script one day. So I was actually driving up, you know, to and from Auckland a couple of times a week, one for voice class and one for my screen acting class, you know. And I was I was suddenly, you know, getting the swing of things and getting the groove of things, and and my coach at the time was saying, you need to do the actors program. It's a one year drama school, you know, because I just, you know, finished four years. I did my finance and economics and I also did uh, a German German language degree, German and advanced linguistics as well because it was all paid for. I was like, oh, I must as well. <laughs> and I did summer schools the whole way through so I could still do the five years and four years, you know. And then anyway, so I said, right, um, I called dad and I says, <clears throat> so there's this like, <laughs> I'd love to go and do this um, drama school, you know, and I, I started talking about what was going on with my paper at the time and I ended up going into tears about it and I really wasn't happy and um and but it was just in that in that moment in these last couple of months that had got me feeling like that it wasn't the whole experience of uni you know and, and he said look mate you know you're almost at the end of your third year there's three years like if you stop now you know it's just like just finish it off like it's all you know it's all paid for and covered and everything is finished off and then you got that certificate and no one can take that away from you so um so yeah we ended up you know staying um staying and, and pursuing that and then, you know, so that was the the moment um, where I was like, that was a time where I would have potentially, you know, consciously decided I wanted to do acting and would have potentially have left what I was doing to go and pursue that. Um, so there's so there was that moment. And then in terms of how my parents responded to this, you know, changing career and whatnot, the second part of that question, I think what happened was is that, you know, of course mum was always like, whatever, whatever makes me happy, honey, like, you know, that's great. And then um, with dad, it was like a little bit more of a, um, I think the thing was, is like dad's always had to work so hard and have his own back because he didn't always have all that other, um, you know, like he, he didn't he didn't necessarily have the same privileges that I did growing up. And I think he was worried that if I was going to do, say, a creative career, which as we know is not as necessarily going to be as, consistent or financially stable as it would be doing a typical Monday to Friday job, you know, one where you have to go and seek out your own work and make it happen in a sense of music and whatever, you know. And um, But it was actually really cool because, like, after, you know, a couple of years of me just, you know, finishing uni and doing my classes and, you know, sort of seeing what was going to happen, I think when I actually did start getting some successes as well, um, you know, in the TV and film industry, that that might have you know changed changed tune a little bit on things and um and then also i think there was that aspect that you know dad yeah just sort of start coming around to the idea um also probably just seeing you know how passionate and happy i was doing that stuff and then third and final third and foremost was that also like i've still kind of got the the analytical and business mind and i think that he's seen that i um, you know, having just thrown in everything that I've got going on and put all my eggs into one basket. And one thing that helps me, Steve, is like when I did have all my eggs in that one basket and I was living in Auckland at the time and I was working in a, in a bar and I was, it was actually made me feel a bit anxious working in, working in the, 
in that bar. I don't know if it was just hospital in general or that. But, you know, I was just making enough money just to pay my rent just so that I could be there there in Auckland to audition for any opportunities that might come along. So fully committing my whole life and my career development just, you know, on those chances. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I've, I'm doing things slightly different now. And um, I think that's probably something that's really, you know, um, a helped help my parents relax and also, you know, for them to be even extra supportive of the acting side of things because they know that that I'm that I am going to be okay, um, that I am going to you know be able to feed myself and feed my family one day, mm. and also pursue this creative these creative things. And I'm lucky mm. I've got a position where I can, can I, I can do all of that. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm interested in in your perspective on this. Uh, you know, around the advice from your dad about finishing your degree. I, I, you know. I probably th- would think that that's a sensible um, approach, maybe you know, and, and advice. But the, the reason why I'm, I'm sort of touching on that is, you know, finishing your degree and at least having that. And I'm, I'm not a big advocate of backup plans or Plan Bs because I think it's splitting your focus. But at least having that under your belt, did that in any way take the pressure off you, knowing that actually I can give this a go? But I've I've not got all my eggs in one basket. <laughs> yeah, I fully see where you're coming from that one, Steve. And my acting coach would have shot me if she heard me talking about the idea of a backup plan. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, my acting coach there are no, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, absolutely. You know, that's a huge part of it, and you know, and and I can definitely see how um, how that does uh, split your focus. You know, absolutely. And um, I, I think. Uh, what what happened with with me uh, is that when that was my whole focus, uh, and I don't know if this was like in you know some of my old OCD things coming back or what, but it, I put a lot of pressure on myself, and there was there was this almost like thickness in the air when I'd go to auditions because I was desperate to get a role because I wasn't enjoying what I was doing, and outside of that, like you know the mm. work I was doing, the flat conditions and everything. I, you know, like that was was putting through that, putting up of that so that I could get to that audition room and hopefully get some roles, you know. So you could probably feel that on me when I went in the room, you know. Um, so that so that what I found for me was splitting my focus in a sense. Um, you know, actually I just want to quickly touch on how you said about you having the, the degree and if that gave me a bit of relief. And I'd, I guess um, I'm probably, it's, it's hard for me to, to say, speak to that, objectively because like, I'm in the privileged position of do having a degree behind me but the thing is is I don't really have any intention to to um, use that degree as a way of going and getting a job or anything anytime soon so in that sense I don't feel like that that's helped me um, but you, but would you if, you if you didn't have it I suppose that was that's a question you can't answer right but that's the kind of angle I'm coming from thinking, because yeah. you know just based on what you were saying there as well around you know like like being desperate to get a role um you know, and you know, comments you made earlier around if you if your sort of mind's focused on something and you're not in the flow. You know, so having to make things work, and that's where I was coming from with the with the kind of backup thing. I don't like I say I don't really agree with it myself, even though I said it. But you know, those things, those little things—they're not little things, but they are really in the sense of the grand scheme of things. But they all pile up to be kind of weight on your shoulders that when you walk into uh, an audition or a job interview mm. or, or whatever whatever it is it's kind of sitting on your shoulder and yeah. it's affecting who you are in that moment yeah whereas sometimes i think if you've got 
um, you know, not necessarily a backup plan, but if the pressure's off, then you can be at your best. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's just negotiating how you can get to that point, hey. And, mm. you know, now I re- probably will re- reconsider my answer in a way. I'd say, like, I think in, in you know, a normal, a normal person in my situation, like having that degree there, that would be really, you know, that would be a great mental factor that would help someone, you know, relax and know that they do have a, another another option. Mm. I, I'm really lucky in the sense that I personally actually do have a, 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 a work, a job, an income that I can have and I always, you know, at least in the near future will have that's outside of acting that I don't, that I wouldn't have needed my degree for. But it was kind of a thing that, you know, with the with my basketball and stuff, that was just kind of, you know, what sort of ended up happening. But I, what I will say is I learned a lot of stuff when I was doing those studies that I use in my life now, absolutely. Mm. Um, but I think, I think like, I get, you know, what you're getting at. And I think that absolutely, like, if you, if you do have, you know, not necessarily a backup plan, but if you have something else that you're passionate about as well, you know, Something that can take your take all of the mind, all of the all of the pressure off in a way that can help you really go into your flow state when you are doing what you love, and it's something that's specific with acting where it's like that speaks to this, where it's like people you know that that trying too hard to impress the casting director and to show off how great of an actor you are, that doesn't always work in your favor, you know, and it's not about you know showing how great you are going from crying one second to being angry to being happy. It's just about, you know, nailing that character in that scene in that moment. And it might just be a light conversation like you and me are having right now. So it doesn't need to be all of that emotional stakes every time. Mm. And I think that like whatever it is for you, if, if you're, if something's able to help you get to that point where you can get into that flow state and just enjoy and have fun. And maybe that is, if you've got a, you know, a career where you can, where you know that you've got that, that you're going to be able to put a roof above your head and that you are going to be able to have kids one day and, you know, buy a school uniform for them or whatever. These are all things that I thought about mm. when I was trying to work out if I was going to be a professional basketballer or an actor, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, yeah, absolutely. And and it's been huge for me, Steve, going mm. from what that how I talked about how I was feeling in Auckland versus how I feel when I'm going into the room now and it's like a whole different ball game mentally mm-hmm. for me. Yeah, sure. So um, it's important as we've talked about to do stuff that you, you love, that you're in your element and that you enjoy. Um, I, I, and I've always sort of, not always, but I suppose in, in recent times thought that actually if you're doing what you're good at um, or doing what you love, then you get good at it. And if, and if you're in that situation, then opportunities will come yeah do you know what I mean they'll, they'll kind of not find you but you'll be more open to seeing them when you've not got that pressure on if you're doing stuff that you don't like and you're desperately trying to get out of it I think that changes your kind of mindset and you don't see the opportunities in front of you right yeah exactly Steve and like you know again trying not to get too wishy-washy but you know talking about the law of attraction as well mm. and you know if it's something that you're really not enjoying and you're really not really wanting to be there I don't think that you know you're going to see all the small moments and things that you might have enjoyed and certain opportunity opportunities and things that may have presented themselves you just won't be in the right space or the right capacity to embrace that mm. um, but if it is something that you really love 
really love doing and, and you enjoy and yeah of course you know you're gonna you're gonna excel at it you're gonna get better at it you're gonna improve you're gonna learn you're gonna grow you're gonna be soaking everything in like a sponge because you want to do the best job that you can and you want to you know because you're just interested in it so yeah. i think that is it's definitely like a like a seed growing if, it, if you're working in a space if you're if you're lucky enough to be able to work in a space of something that you do really enjoy that's pretty you know it's a pretty hard thing to find you know like even me, like when there's, you know, if I'm not working on an acting show or whatever, and I'm trying to think like, you know, what's something that I really enjoy? And then, you know, I always go back, well, what about basketball? That, that took over your life for the last 20 years. Mm. And that's <laughs> something I've just been going back to, you know, just joined up in the local men's league and I've been playing the last couple of months. It's been awesome. Yeah. So I had a bit of a break from that as well, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So look, let's, get, let's, let's talk a bit more about your, um, the acting side of things, right? Yeah, because yeah, so yeah. I think what I imagine... Uh, in the short while that I've known you, um, what I imagine is that you've probably applied yourself to acting the same way that you did with basketball, rugby or whatever mm. else it was you were doing. So exactly, you've yeah. already talked about, you know, uh, going on a, a year-long course and having acting classes and I'm sure you've done lots of other things as well. So for anyone who's, who's interested in that kind of process about how to get into acting, particularly TV and film, mm-hmm. um, you know, theatre is is another sort of element of it, mm-hmm. um, but I imagine that there's. No, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna retract that. I'm just gonna say I imagine that it's easier to get into theatre, but I'm talking about at local local level. There's there's options for people. TV and film seems to look a bit more of a stretch for for people, mm, yeah, and that's yeah. that's where you've headed, and that's your the direction that you've gone in. So yeah. if you can maybe talk to us a little bit about that journey, about what it's taken to get to where you where you've got to um and then you know maybe expand on where you have got to and, and mm. tell us the kind of things you've been doing of course yeah no thanks steve um i think that you know in terms of getting to that professional level uh for both tv and film and theater professional theater uh, that's a really hard industry to crack and to get your foot in the door for sure you mm. know there's a lot of people that um would love that love the opportunity and there's a lot of classes out there of a lot of you know, fantastic actors of all ages and, you know, and, and all demographics and everything, um, you know, that just, that are working away and training away, but they just haven't had that opportunity to get that first role or whatever. And it's definitely one of those things, you know, it's like if you're, you know, if you're hiring someone for, you know, for anything, you get people, get people in that you'd like to work with and you can see yourself working with all the time and, and that you know can do a great job. And if you can't, go you know go online and see you know something that they've done or or if you don't know them from a bar of soap or whatever then like it is a really so like like why would you cast them so it, you know it is a really um obviously it can be quite a hard industry um to to crack in that sense and i think you know for you know young people or, or just people that are considering uh, you know getting into the you know getting involved with this and if that's something that you're quite into um, I think you know the one of the biggest things is is that you know you got to work out if that's what really what you want to what you want to do and why it is that you think that that would be cool um, because you know like there's a lot of people trying to get in the industry there already is a lot of people in the industry you know and I remember when I was at that year long drama school and uh, on the very f- it was actually the audition for the drama school you know it was like a week audition process and. At the very end of it, there was like a real Flash actor who was in all the Flash movies and stuff, and he was talking to us, and and he was just like, uh, what was he? something like, you know, you got to make sure that 
that you there's nothing else in this world that you could do that's not acting. Like if there's anything else you could possibly do and you think you could be happy, then fuck. Then just go, you know, then just leave. Don't do this. It's not for you. Because there's gonna be times where it's really gonna try you, you know, and 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 at the time when I when I left drama school, I was really fortunate because it was actually in drama school that I got my first T V role and, you know, I snuck off and auditioned and whatever and you know and, and then after that the the ball started rolling and you know I got my foot in the door and it was like you know I got to build a rapport with the casting directors and and you know the directors and stuff in New Zealand and everything and you know got a few back-to-back roles and you know there's times there was only days you know days or hours in between me going from set to set or shoot to shoot or whatever and it was great and I was just like oh you know and I remember at the time at drama school they were sort of saying like you know it's probably going to be maybe, you know, 5% of you that would still be interested in doing this in a couple of years' time, you know, maybe in 10 years' time, maybe one of you, if anything, you know? And um, and I was like, oh, I'm unlucky few, you, who? And, you know, and we did that for a couple of years. And then, you know, it is, it's just one of those things where, you know, things kind of come in streaks and stuff and it just doesn't, you know, because I had a warped perception of how things were going to go. Because I was like, oh great, I'm never going to have to get a day job again. I'll just be going from set to set for the rest of my life and I'll be in LA in six months, you know? <laughs> and um, and th- and that's just how you learn as well because, you know, I'm still, still only young and I'm still learning all these things myself. Um, so I think if you're like, interested in getting the industry, yeah, work out if that's, you know, if there is anything else that you, you know, that you, re- that you could do. And, you know, I mean, I don't fully agree with that opinion because – like there, there is other stuff in life that would make me happy, but like I really love doing acting as well, and you know I want to have a I want to have a crack at getting all the opportunities I can for that, and I also want to you know survive at the same time and and build a life for myself and my future family at the same time, you know. So it's it's not black and white, and it's really different. Depends on everyone's you know personal circumstances, um, whatever you guys got going on at home over there. You know, but like the, the, the main thing is is you gotta be into win as well. And when you and this is also for one of those things once you start auditioning and everything, and I'll get to the point about how to get to that stage. But you know, when you do start auditioning and stuff, like you, it's almost like if you think about it in the sense that if you don't have that lotto ticket for that audition, no matter how far, you know, stretched it may seem, like oh, you know, shooting in Japan, looking for, you know, recognizable face, whatever, whatever, and you go, oh, I got an audition for this one. You know, and it's just like, if you don't go for it, you just never know. <laughs> and there's mm. like, I feel like people over the years have just constantly been saying this, you know, uh, you know, saying these things to me, like you got to be in the pool to win and actors start to leave the pool, you know, and, and then there's less people in your demographic and all of a sudden, you know, you get to, you know, in your late 20s, your early 30s and they're looking for me, you know, looking for that tall young dad role or whatever and people do drop out and there is, you know, less competition in a sense. And then you got New Zealand, you know, and you talk about being in a small pond here and, you know, you talk about, you know, wanting to go into that space of being like a big fish in a small pond and then, you know, making your leap into the other ponds, um, you know, that, 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 that kind of thing. Uh, you know, I could just talk about this forever. I think before, you know, I'll just, I will just say um, if you are just listening and you're wanting to, to know what to do from being in your position right now, to being in the in the industry, uh, the first thing that you want to do is, uh, well, you you need to get an agent for starters. Um, you need to be represented uh, by. Uh, is in New Zealand, it's it's very uncommon that you wouldn't be represented by anyone, and that you would 
you know, is, is considered not etiquette to contact casting directors or producers as an actor yourself, you know, so you need it, you know, but before you can get that, because it's not, it's not easy to get representation uh, or the kind of representation that you want, you know, and there's different levels to the, to the potential for that and there's lots of different agents um, and, you know, in order for you, for an agent to take you onto their books and to, to start working for you and to, you know, to putting you out there, you got to show them what you're made of, mm. you know, and to do that, you need to uh, you need to get a couple of film a couple of scenes of yourself and a couple of scenes you know work out work out what it is that's your commodity in this industry. Are you the tan hot surfy boy jock school captain whatever American jock whatever like the sort of things that I've been you know slipping into in these last couple of years, or you know are you the the girl next door? Or are you like the best mate? And you know work out what it is and then get a couple of scenes from actual TV shows. You know that are that are like you know that kind of character, and then you know transcribe if you got to write down the lines and and then and then learn it, and then you know put on an outfit and film and film the scene. You know that way you've got an actual scene. You've got some footage that you can show. You know if I were to get if you were to represent me and you got me an audition, and this is the kind of roles you'd be putting me up for. This is what I can do. Yeah. You know, and I, you know, and then they go, well, that's bookable. Like I believe that I believe that performance. I think that's bookable. Like someone would book you, then that'd be great. It's a great business move, isn't it, to get you on the books? Because then you know that's mm. that's what it's all about, you know. Um, and I'd say you know I probably missed a, a pretty big step right there, which is to get to the point where you can sit down and film a video and be happy with it like that. Is that there's that little thing called training, you know, and um, and. Yeah, it's easy to kind of bypass that step, but I think it's important because, uh, you know, if you want to, if you really want to make your performances be able to, you know, to 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 move people. Actually, I think I think you know, if you just rely on your natural talent and your looks, that can only ever get you so far, you know. And um, you know, especially you know, when you start competing against all these other people that have been in the industry for years and kid actors and you know and. It's like, you know, if it comes down to two, like, good-looking people or whatever, and but then there's someone that's already got a great reputation with people in the industry and stuff, you know, you really got to, you know, you got to have some kind of, um, yeah, you know, I don't want to keep using the word training, but there's all sorts of acting gods and there's all sorts of yeah. classes and it's stuff. Credibility, right? At the end of the day, yeah. it's, a, it's a craft, it's a skill. It's not just uh, yeah. anyone can, can turn up and do it. You've got to... You've got to Put in, like you say, with any, like with anything, I suppose you got to put in to to demonstrate that you you're worthy of it. Yeah, exactly. So I hope that that in a in a kind of sped up sense was would somehow sort of show how you could go from you know being sitting here listening to this um, podcast to actually you know getting potentially having a career in the TV and film or the professional theatre industry. And when you've got a great agent, you'll be getting put out for professional theatre and TV and film and those are all very thing, hard things to, to crack into. Um, a friend of mine, he got a really cool role in a professional theatre show, you know, and I haven't even auditioned for a professional theatre show in my whole career, you know, so that's um, is certainly not an easy thing to get into, um, but there are opportunities to do theatre shows more locally and stuff like that as well. Um, you know where you can meet like-minded people and, and stuff too so you guess you got to work out what it is that you know that's sort of driving you and getting you off in this sense and what you know what it is that where you where you want to be where you see yourself what you wanting to get out of it you know and 
again, like, like you briefly mentioned before, like what I was putting into my basketball, I then just went, and put that into the acting, you know, and I was just doing a lot of late night driving, you know, from Hamilton up to Auckland and back and doing these classes, you know, these night classes and things. And, you know, being a classic New Zealander sportsman, I had a bit of a mumble, you know, when I talked and I had to, I had to learn to articulate myself and, and, um, and whatnot and do some speech classes and things to, mm-hmm. to, to get to the point where you're aware of how you're speaking and then to add, you know, and then if we're talking about doing a TV show here and you are playing a Kiwi character or first 15 captain, then they probably will have a bit of that kind of mumble in there. So it's like, first of all, being aware of how you can talk clearly and whatever, and then adding a little bit of that blur, a little bit of that mumble, adding that in there as a character choice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, so it's obviously you've had some, you've had some success, um, which is which is great. What was your, what's your, tell me what was your favourite role so far, and and why? What was? Uh, I really. Um, I really enjoyed working on that on that Tim Roth film Punch. Um, first of all, because it was my first movie that came out in the cinemas, and um, and we could um, we rented out the whole row of seats and had all my nanas and grandmas <laughs> and stuff, and we we're all down there. And then they all jumped up and clapped at the end, you know. Oh, and then nice. someone came down and goes, "Oh, what one of you is the actor?" And we're like, "Wait, what? How did you know that?" And we're like, "We're like, oh, this is soon because you got the whole family here." And like, oh, it's the tall boy. You know, and I think the good thing about that was sporting, coming up from a sporting background has helped me transition into the industry a little bit smoother maybe, mm. you know, and the roles that I've had have been sort of surfers, basketball, well, surfers and rugby players and boxers. Mm. And this one was a boxer and um, and we had the the Olympic, the women's Olympic um, boxing coach was our on-set advisor. So like in pre-production, you know, for a couple of months I was traveling up to Auckland each week and I was working with him um, working with Cam <clears throat> on all the technical side of things, you know, and because when I was in my audition, you know, I told them about how great of a boxer I was, of course, you know, <laughs> and but that was more just a weekly fitness class where you're just skipping rope in a boxing ring or hitting a bag. It was very different, uh, you know, and, and then when we we went and we did the, the screen test and they and they had me, you know, there was someone that had been doing the boxing training for, for like with this guy, but for months before I came on board, and they said, all right, let's have a bit of a spa, you know, and, you know, no, you know, not actually touch each other, but just moving around in space. And, of course, you know, you got the producers and the stunties and everything. And, and man, I was so tired, eh? <laughs> I was, like, yeah, we're yeah. a couple of minutes in, and I was, like, I was, like, crap, man. And uh, it was hard work, really hard fitness work. And, uh, and, it, and we sort of went from there, and he goes, I thought you said that. And I was just, like, we'll get there. And um, it wasn't up until the actual day of the one of the days of the shoots we were shooting the actual boxing physical scenes because you got your dialogues and your dramas and you got that. Yeah. And we we're actually shooting that scene, and then you know, I remember the coach was like holding me like this, and he was just like, and he's like, "All right, give me a left right combo, a left right hook," and then you get, and then like you know, he's like my footwork, and he goes, "All right." Well, I can say that you look less ugly now than you did when we first started working with you. <laughs> and I was just like, sweet. Yeah, that was yeah. my confidence booster prep talk. And then we went and shot the scene. And, um, and yeah, Tim, Tim was in that one. And it was a cool experience working with, with Tim. And, you know, um, I remember we were like, we were there. We were in this, like, you know, we were in the, in the room where we were shooting the boxing scenes. And it was so cool. It was like all dark and moody and they got all these old newspaper clippings and aged them to make them look like they've been up there for years and photoshopped our faces into them. Mm. And 
like my boxing gloves and my shorts were all been sitting out in the sun for weeks and making it all aged and golden, you know, and yeah. we're rolling around on the, we got a spray tanned up and we're rolling around on the floor and wrestling around in the scenes and stuff. And it got to the point where Tim comes into the scene and like, all right, let's get Tim in from his trailer. And then, um, you know, yeah, yeah. and, and then, and we got all the lighting and got everything perfect and um, did a couple of takes and then Tim comes in and he just nails it every time <laughs> right from the start you know just yeah. comes in right what we right what we oh right okay boom this natural absolute like you know everything came across as natural and especially when he he was playing that he was you know drunk and whatever and the way he just stumbled in like oh it was just awesome so um yeah what pretty was inspiring. that what was that like you know I mean I've got more questions about this but I mean working with someone like Tim Roth who's, you know, internationally recognised um, actor, great actor. You know, getting an opportunity like that, how did that feel? Oh, um, yeah, it felt... Um, I remember when we were, like, there, we were shooting the scene and, like, I'd just been knocked out in the boxing match, you know, and then it was, like, a bit of a... It was a bit of a dirty move, you know, and I'm sort of there and then he comes over and he sort of, like picks me up and he's like holding me he's like alright you right, mate you right, mate you right, mate and I was just like whoa this is cool <laughs> and um, and then I was just remember thinking where's the cameras oh the cameras there they can see me yeah alright great I'm in a scene of Tim Roth perfect <laughs> <laughs> like it was, go- it was good but it was really cool and um, and it was inspiring to see how much he just committed himself to it there's absolutely no holding back and we are talking about being in your flow autonomous state before and and, you know, it's, again, it's something about that security of knowing that you've got that reputation and that you've got all that work and probably the financial side of things and everything, like, nothing to worry about. Mm. And you're just fully in that flow state. And I think if we can if we can almost reconstruct that feeling and put it into our, like, sort of in our, our day-to-day lives or our everyday tasks or just every time that we're approaching, you know, this thing that we enjoy and this passion and stuff, if you can sort of reconstruct that, that feeling of that flow state and this and sort of like you know dribble that into everything that you do i think you're always going to be you know putting your best foot forward mm, sure sure and what about hiring the front row of the cinema out and being there with your mm. family watching that what was that like it was so gorgeous so it was such a gorgeous um day and um yeah it was <coughs> i remember like also just seeing um you know being able to sit down in front of the TV or whatever and, you know, watch my first time I came on TV with the with the fam and stuff and obviously it was a, it was a very um, special moment. Well, I think the best thing is always just the feeling of when you're leaving set, you know, because it's months and months down the track before it actually comes out, mm. you know, or years mm. or whatever. And um, that first time when I first left the set of Head High, you know, and I was so excited. And when I first got there, my first day, it was sort of, you know, I was so nervous, you know, and then you know, I was coming home and I went and got myself a can of soda and a couple of chocolate bars from the dairy, come <laughs> home and celebrate, you know. <laughs> and, um, yeah, and, and uh, it's definitely brilliant to be able to sit around and, and, and do that. And, and my my grandparents all love it. Eh? They um, they always asking me to send them the links to things or send them pictures to thing, things and whatnot. And whenever I'm on the way home from an audition, I just had one in Auckland at the end of last week and I usually take that time to call catch up with everyone and I was like, hey, Siri, ring Nana Judy. Hey, Siri, ring Nana. Hey, Siri, ring Papa and Pam. And I just fill everyone <laughs> in and let them know what's going on and, yeah. and how I got on and stuff. And, and um, yeah, so that's nice that someone that doesn't make you feel like you're on, on the journey alone or whatever, which is cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so what about the future then? What's, what's your 
What's your, what's your ambitions and aspirations for, for the future of Connor then? Where do you see yourself in five, ten years' time? Uh, honestly, Steve, I think that um, that keeps on like seeming to change for me, you know what I mean? And I feel like my whole life I've just had – I've always had to felt like I've had to control everything. Like I've had to know what the next step is and, and know what's going on. And I guess in a way I've been kind of relinquishing that feeling of needing to control everything a little bit lately and trying to kind of go with the flow and embrace opportunities that come my way and embrace and nurture the relationships that are like present in my life, you know, and like a lot of like my best mates and stuff, like they're all overseas and stuff, you know, and, and so you got to, you know, em, em embrace the relationships that you, that you do have here. And um, and I think in terms of my future, like, going forward, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing what kind of opportunities that I'm going to be getting uh, in the TV and film industry. You know, I think that there's some a lot of exciting stuff happening. Um, and and I, I do feel like I've got, I've got a really good feeling that there's going to be some great stuff coming and there is some some um some cool stuff in the in the works at the moment and there's a a couple of things um that we've shot that you know are yet to come out and mm. you know so there's always sort of something in the pipeline and you know and um we got some good news um the uh we we did a we did a show and this this was a uh, you know the good thing about technology these days is not only can you send in a self tape audition from all around the world and you can audition for things that are going to be shooting in other places, but you know they're also making series you know, like TV series uh, to be on social media platforms. You know, and if you think about it, like if you're if your target market is for younger people or whatever, you know, like I mean, ever since I've been at uni, I haven't had channels one, two, and three on my TV. Uh, you know, um, but you know, back when I'm at the rent house, of course I do. Um, you know, but like we did the show and it was it was funded by Screen Australia and NZ on Air and TikTok, and it was you know to make five oh was it five or six or five episodes of five minutes long, and it's on TikTok, on Instagram, on Facebook, designed at the young market, and it racked up a couple of million views, and we just got announced the funding um, to turn it into an actual TV series, which is going to be on TV three and three right. now on demand. So um, that's so, interesting, eh? That, that yeah, you know, it's a different way of piloting something, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. It's you like know? a pilot season. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah. So um, you know, so so there's that, and yeah, like we wrapped on a comedy film at the end of last year, and really looking forward to that. And but you know, not just acting as well, but I I really do love writing. You know, and I do. I've I've got a I've written a film as well um, that I'm, you know, wanting to do. And we when we were at the actors program, um, we wrote a we wrote a, a series that we we shot our, a pilot on our own sort of time and money and whatnot, you know, and then we we're really lucky that we got funding um, to turn that into a like a not a TV show but a web series, you know, it's about you know decent quarter of a mil or whatever, you know, and mm-hmm. but if these things cost so so much, you know, to make you know to make things like this, it's mm-hmm. so so expensive, and and that's why you know when you look at the economy and whatnot in New Zealand as of late. You can see why there hasn't been as many big scale productions and stuff going on here, because you know as soon as the checkbooks get tied up a little bit, you know. Yeah. Um. So yeah, but we so we went from filming this to actually putting it, you know, to actually you know being able to you know pay crew and do it all properly, and it was on TVNZ on demand and whatever you know, and 
and you know so we so I got to start off my sort of writing with doing that we all wrote an episode each uh, and then when it got to the next funding level um, then the you know the the producing things sort of took over from there but that was a nice little taste of it for me and I think that there's definitely a lot of writing and producing in my near future to be had right. I can definitely see myself you know um, yeah writing uh, even producing the producing the film that I'm you know that I'm working in as well um, you know further down the line you know and um, yeah so there's you know there's that in terms of my future in acting that 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 would you know answer that but you know I do have interest in, in other things as well and um, and I've been really enjoying doing some house renos lately mm. you know and when I moved down here and uh, moving back down here from Auckland and I, I managed to get a beautiful 80s home that um, big pink spa baths <laughs> and bamboo tiki barley hut looking flooring and and Samoan tapa as wallpaper up on the walls you know, and I've been really in, in doing uh, renovating up the the bathrooms and the kitchen and stuff, and um, and and I want to keep doing it. You know, yeah. and I uh, I think um like property and property development, property investment is um, real estate and stuff like that is something that really excites me as well. So um, yeah, there's lots of things that I'm looking forward to in the future, and I just want to make sure that I also stay present and enjoy the moment, nurture the relationships and the people that are that are put in effort into me that have really seen me you yeah, know yeah. for who I am and want to yeah. stop and listen and, and lend an ear as well um, so yeah I do really want to make sure I appreciate that yeah excellent well it sounds to me like you've got your head screwed on mate and that um, you've got a few options well lots of options there of, of what your future might hold but also I think he's quite refreshing that you you're not Trans, whilst you've got what your passions, obviously you're not transfixed on one thing, that you're yeah. open to all sorts of things. And I think yeah. that's probably why you'll see opportunities and you'll go in the direction that feels right. Yeah, exactly. um, I mean, clearly uh, from what you've already done, you've got you've got some uh, talent in the acting space. Uh, you've got your writing and, and uh, production side of things as well uh, that you've got a penchant for. So I, I think um, with your tenacity and determination and commitment to to whatever it is that you um do and what you've done in the past uh you'll you'll make a success of whatever whatever you you focus on whether that's acting i'm sure that that will be a success for you or, or whether it's renovating houses <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah i'm sure you'll uh you'll have uh, great success in, in whichever direction you're going in every direction probably Connor. look I, i'd like to say thank you for taking the time out um again to, to come and talk to us on the on the show uh, to share the, the stories that you've, sh you've shared with us and give us some insight and, into what it takes to make it in the uh, in the acting world, which um, I, you know, clearly from the way you were talking about it, you're very passionate about. And like you said, you could probably talk for a long time about it. I could sit here and listen to it a, a, for a long time as well. Um, so, But I appreciate you sharing those stories and, and being quite open with us. So thank you for that. Thank you so much for having me, Steve. And like I said before, I do really... Really, I love uh, seeing people get excited about, you know, what makes people tick and, and, you know, and I got to check out some of the work you've been doing and things and I can only just imagine the wealth of, of knowledge and t tips and ideas and life hacks and secrets and whatnot that you've been learning over, you know, this journey that you've been doing 
And um, yeah, and it excites me too, seeing what makes people, you know, tick and what makes people, you know, do the things they do and chase the passions that they have. So um, yeah, thank you so much for having me on the show. And um, and yeah, it was actually really refreshing to do a deep dive into some things that I haven't thought about or talked about in years. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, mate. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you. <laughs> All good? And we're out. Thanks, mate. That was good. Oh. Enjoyed that. Oh, mate, that was awesome. Thank you. As you will hopefully know by now, if you've seen other episodes, this segment of the podcast is all about the wisdom worth sharing from our guests who are living a life that's a story worth retelling. At the end of every interview, I look back as part of the editing process and discover some of the gems that came out during the conversation, and I summarise them here. Well, what a pleasure it was interviewing Connor. Such a genuinely nice guy. His empathy, love for his family, and desire to be a positive influence in all that he does and with everyone he meets was obvious and flowed out throughout the whole conversation. Connor wasn't sure what he wanted to do for his career as he set out beyond his school years. He had options, and still does, which is a great position to be in. He studied for his degree, and he could have had a career in finance. And importantly, he still can if he chooses to, as he now has a qualification behind him. He was a great athlete, playing rugby and then basketball at a high level and could have had a great sporting career. But it was his underlying passion for TV and movies that would draw him away from both of those and into the world of acting. It was whilst he was at uni that he saw an advert for an audition for short films being made by other students at uni. He applied, and not only did he get the gig, but became great friends with the guys who were behind the cameras, and they all moved in together as flatmates. I think this helped cement Connor's path into TV and film. If he hadn't have moved in with those guys, he maybe wouldn't have had so many opportunities to live and breathe it quite so much. He wouldn't have starred in so many of their short films, wouldn't have had the insight into acting that these opportunities gave him, and therefore, very possibly, would have been working in finance right now. Life's interesting, isn't it? Connor had this interest in TV and film, so much so that his bedroom walls at his parents' house were covered in movie posters, but he hadn't had the time being involved in so many sports and hadn't maybe had the drive and passion to give it a try until a chance opportunity came his way, and then he gave it a go. And I think that's why it's important for us all to give things a go, try new stuff. Who knows what we'll discover, intentionally or accidentally, and at the very least... We'll have stimulated our brains learning something new. We might, like Connor has, find our true passion and our element. As Connor said, if you're doing what you love doing, you're going to get better at it, and then more opportunities will come your way and you'll see them. The key thing here is being willing to take a chance. Most people go through lives, their lives never catching a break, when in actual fact, there are chances passing by them every day. We have to be open to seeing the things other than what we expect to see. We don't observe and see what else is available to us. I teach this in leadership training, but in this example, there are opportunities all around us. We first need to be open to seeing them. It's like if I asked you if you could have a new car, what would it be? And if you answered, I'd really love a red Mini, 
for the rest of the day, you'll see red minis. You might now, even though I'm just the one saying it. All of a sudden, there will be lots more of them on the road than what there was before. No, that's not true. We've just told our brains that we want a red mini, and now it's pointing them all out to us. They were going to be there anyway. We just wouldn't have observed them. The point here is that if we want new opportunities, we have to expect to see them. Then our brains will point them out. Next, we have to be willing to take action, to try new things, give it a go. It might turn out not to be what we'd expected, but at least now we know. We have still learned something valuable. When Connor was willing to take that first step and tried being in front of the camera, I bet he didn't think for one minute he would soon be starring alongside an international film star like Tim Roth. But that's exactly what he has done, and so much more. All because he was willing to try something new. He was willing to step off the path that he was on and find a new one. And as Connor said, if you don't go for anything, you'll never know. You've got to be in to win. Importantly, he got good advice from his parents who advised him to finish his uh, degree that he'd almost completed. But otherwise, his family were fully supportive of his endeavours, which is amazing and no doubt key to him achieving the success he has done so, so far. You can tell from the way that Connor talks about his family that they have a great relationship. He appreciates and values his family and the relationship that they have. They're so important to him that they very much are a consideration when he's making his decisions about his own life. Clearly, he doesn't want to be too far away from them for too long. Unless, of course, Hollywood comes calling. What has amazed me throughout these life's work journey so far is how many of the 20-plus guests we've had have had to overcome personal struggles, bullying, stress, mental health issues and disorders, as well as physical disabilities. On their journey to creating a life that's a story worth retelling. I thought about this quite a bit. I'd always had a suspicion that it was their struggle that caused them to work harder to overcome that, which then led to their achievement. This year, having interviewed so many amazing people, my theory on that has changed. I strongly believe that what was different about these people wasn't their struggle at all, but their belief in themselves and absolute determination that they wouldn't be boxed or labelled. Instead, they would choose to live their life their way, no matter what. Connor is no different. He was bullied at a younger age, but he said he wouldn't change a thing because that experience shaped both who he has become and his view of the world, which is why he's always open to helping others. He seems to have an amazing level of empathy and understanding of people. Maybe studying acting has helped with that, but I think he's genuinely an empathetic person. Someone who cares enough to ask questions and be prepared to hold out his hand and help. Connor also opened up about his OCD and anxiety, areas of his life he hasn't spoken much about outside of his family. So I feel honoured that he was willing to do so on this show. What was interesting was that this wasn't what he was bullied for at school because he was able to manage it somewhat so that people outside of his family may not have even noticed he was dealing with that. The ability to do this gain control over it, along with recognising that when he was in a flow state, playing basketball, for instance, the OCD subsided. It didn't go away completely, but the voice in his head telling him to do things wasn't present while he was busy and in the zone. 
This demonstrated to Connor that it was manageable, that he could get control of that, and it wouldn't have to control his life. He had the help of a psychologist, but Connor had to do the work, and he has done. And look at him now. If he hadn't shared that story with us, we would never have known. Like Connor said, it hasn't gone away forever, but he now knows that he can manage it, so it doesn't negatively impact his life. I want to end on a point that Connor raised during the interview, and that is that it's important to remember that the not-so-good days don't last. They're just days. Whatever we're dealing with now won't be here forever. And like Connor said, like the moon, life takes place in cycles. Wise words, indeed. It can be easy to buy into the drama of any one day, and that can become our mindset and attitude for so much longer. And when that happens, guess what also happens? We change what we expect to see. Maybe more things to be miserable about, and our brains will deliver on that. Like the red minis, we will start to see all the reasons to be miserable. We can break that cycle by believing that tomorrow is a new day, a new start, and we can decide to focus on something more positive so we get more of that. As Tony Robbins says, where focus goes, energy flows. Where will you put your focus today? Hopefully, you've been able to take many insights away from this interview that you can apply to some aspects of your life, work, and legacy. Use them. Share them with others. As I always say, sharing is like teaching, and teaching helps us retain what we've learned and commit to change, which, of course, is necessary if we are to enhance our life's work. I hope that you are happy, safe, and successful in all that you do. And remember, live a life that's a story worth retelling. I'm Steve Worsley, and I look forward to seeing you next time on Life's Work, the podcast all about wisdom worth sharing.